most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? <laughs> You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. Ooh, my goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. And welcome to the Action Network Fantasy Flex Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Raybon, joined as always by Sean Kerner. Thanks again for listening to our new feed here at the Fantasy Flex Podcast. And we appreciate you guys helping to spread the word, but we still need your help to help kickstart the NFL season. Action Network is offering one lucky listener the chance to connect with the Fantasy Flex crew and compete against us in a four-person best ball draft that's right me sean kerner samantha praviti and one fantasy flex listener will draft against each other live on youtube next wednesday august 25th for your chance to win just leave the fantasy flex podcast a review on apple Podcasts, and be sure to include a way that we can contact you or post on twitter about the fantasy flex and tag the at action podcast handle so that's all you have to do. If you want a chance to draft against me, Sean, and Samantha live next Wednesday, just leave us a review with a way to contact you or post about the show on Twitter, tagging at Action Podcast, and we will select a winner to join our live best ball draft on Wednesday, August 25th. And we would also like to announce that we have selected our first two winners in our podcast review contest. As a reminder, anyone who gives a five-star rating and review is eligible for prizes courtesy of the Action Network. So if you left one of those reviews, please email podcast at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize. Sean, who are our two winners for this week? So the two winners this week are Jay McGowan 8 and H-Town Hard Hitta. There you go. Congratulations, guys. Enjoy your Action Network swag and uh, keep leaving those ratings and review, guys. And today we're going to be talking all about the fantasy top 50. And we have a very special guest, a guy who I think just has great insights and great opinions. Always uh, want to hear what he has to say uh, about these players. And we had him on last year. We'll ha we have him on again. Dave Richard, CBS Sports. What's going on, Dave? Thanks for joining us. The flex, right? Fantasy flex. Oh yes, the flex. I'm showing you the. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they're 24 inch pythons. I don't even know <laughs> if they're pythons. They might be more like 24 inch sausage links at this point. But I, I, I was giving you a little bit of that. What's up, Chris? What's up, Sean? Uh, hopefully, the fantasy advice is better than that intro for me. Uh, they're my intro for myself, I should say. Chris, your intro for me was great. Uh, I love talking to you guys because you both see fantasy a little bit differently than I do. And so sometimes, you know, in, in my world with CBS sports, there, there tends to occasionally be some group think. And like, I like Jamie will bring up a topic on our show. I know exactly the way he feels about it. I know the way he feels about it. Azer will bring something up on our podcast. I'll know how he feels about it with you two. I don't know. And to me, that's exciting 
because I don't, I, I might come out here and say, yeah, Chris McCaffrey's worth the number one pick. And then Sean will just drop a ton of knowledge on me. Nope. It's got to be Dalvin cook or Alvin Kamara or Derek Henry or uh, Marquez Calloway. You know, one of those guys, <laughs> number one overall, something like that. So I, I really, I always stop and read your tweets whenever you you're out there in the Twitter sphere and you guys are smart guys. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of get into it and see where the disagreements are and to see if you guys can convince me on some of the players that maybe we don't see eye to eye on. Oh yeah. And that's what it's all about. I, I think, especially in this top 50, because it's such, you know, there is there, that's where there is the most group thinking, you know, early in the draft, you know, ADP really kind of dictates who goes where. And I think you can lose the draft more than you can win it. So um, it should be some good conversations. We'll try to fish out some of those disagreements that we have, but uh, Sean, first of all, what's going on, man. We haven't heard from you yet. <laughs> what's up yeah i always love having dave on uh this is one of my favorite pods every year i think this is the third year in a row he's done our top 50 and this is always the holy shit the season's about to start pod for me i think we're at 20 days uh before the season starts so it's always I think fun. It was three uh, weeks from yesterday yeah yeah so this is always a good time of year uh, having dave on love hearing his thoughts and can't wait oh yeah so let's jump right in and dave i'm gonna start by asking uh, a more general question about your approach in 2021 uh, early rounds, you know, first five rounds, what is your approach this year? How does it different from other years? And are, is there any specific strategies, um, you know, such as, you know, zero RB or anything like that, that you find yourself employing? I rarely find myself going zero RB because I look at that position and there are so many running backs that I look at that are going to be available even in like rounds four and five. And I go, ah, I don't want to have them on my team. Or if I want them on my team, I want them to be my number three running back or on my bench. I don't want to have to start um, at least for the season guys like Javante Williams, Michael Carter, um, Trey Sermon. Why am I naming rookies? Um, Raheem Mostert. Uh, Melvin Gordon, uh, you know, the, the, there are a lot of guys that I'm not comfortable with starting. So that that red line that I draw at running back, it, it, it doesn't go very far. And so I'm trying to collect those running backs early on. And I kind of feel the same way at tight end. I think that there's a clear red line after those first three. And then there's another red line after those next three. And then after that, I don't know what kind of color line you need because they, they kind of jumble together. And I, I think I've got a beat on who I like seventh best at that position and maybe even eighth best too. But I, I, I feel like I still have to like watch more preseason and get a better idea of it. I look at those two. I, I don't look, I, I guess I should say this. I look at those two positions as the thinnest in fantasy this year. Wide receiver, I think it's deep. I think you can, especially in PPR, I think you can find wide receivers with 13 point PPR potential week in and week out. Uh, I think you can find guys with 10 point PPR potential on the waiver wire. So I, I don't really stress to try and find the next Devontae Adams circa 2020. And quarterbacks deep enough where I think I can find a starting quarterback, even if, if I'm in a 12 uh, manager league. Uh, and 12 quarterbacks go before I even get my first one. Um, I, I think I'd be okay finding a Burrow or Trevor Lawrence as, as that quarterback. Cousins, if I had to, although that makes me scared too. So what I what I have found myself doing in most of my drafts is two running backs and one tight end within my first three picks. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm taking Kelsey in round one and then two running backs. Sometimes I'm, I'm usually taking a running back in round one. And usually I'm getting... 
either Waller in round two or Kelsey in round three, just depending on what my draft slot is. But that's kind of the way I've been uh, rolling in a lot of drafts. Get yeah. Right. If you're getting Kelsey in uh, round three, I want to join that league. <laughs> yeah, not Kelsey Kittle. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I've been talking a lot today. My bad. <laughs> Sean, how about you? Uh, does Dave's uh, early round approach kind of mimic yours, or are you doing things a little different? No, I, I think it does mimic mine. Um, like he said, you know, the running back and tight end positions, there's steep drop offs this year. So I do like targeting those early. Whereas quarterback and wide receiver, you know, there's um, guys available at almost every part in the draft. So I kind of let those positions come to me. Um, you know, if Josh Allen's sitting there in round four and I like my team, I'll take him. But, um, you know, what Dave mentioned was like, you know, you can get maybe Darren Waller falls to you in round three um, and then start off running back, running back. Uh, there's a lot of different ways uh, that you can start the first few rounds at every draft slot. But I do kind of like to have at least two running backs and a tight end after the first few rounds in an ideal draft. Um, but yeah, uh, I kind of understand the theory behind zero running back approach. Um, it's a very fragile position. We know that we can get, you know, diamonds in the rough later in the draft or on the waiver wire injuries happen, things like that. But I actually think the, the approach should be different because of that. So I have more of a surplus running back approach where, you know, I target workhorse backs early on um, just because you get two backs early on doesn't mean, you know, you're done drafting running back. You're good to go. You have to you factor in that they might get hurt. You know, things happen. So I like to stash high upside backup running backs, target those, you know, cream hunts, AJ Dillon, Latavius Murray type backups where, um, you know, in a pinch, you can start them and they have that injury upside. So I think just running back, you have to target at all phases of the draft. So I usually walk away with six to seven running backs on my team, um, yep. sort of the opposite of the zero running back approach. But that's kind of how I'm approaching drafts uh, this season. Well, but if you do go zero RB, you should still have six or seven running backs on your roster. Yeah. You just don't have to necessarily be guys that you're taking with your first. Exactly. And three picks the zero RB approach, you're kind of you're forced to target these frozen pond tier running backs, like the Miles Gaskins, Chase I love Edmonds. That. I those love guys, that reference. And I don't like targeting those guys. So that that approach is kind of the opposite of what I want to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with the frozen pond tier. I really find that. Uh, I like the early part of the draft, especially because if you get that top four pick, you get one of those running backs uh, and then it's wide open. Like you can get the last of, you know, the, the really solid, you know, low end RB one, high end RB two guys, you know, at the two, three turn, and you might have a chance to draft a Waller or, or Kittle. So um, I really like the early part, but one thing I noticed is that, whether I go running back, running back, or go running back, stud tight end, uh, I never hate my teams when I go uh, wide receiver in round three, four, and five. So essentially, like getting my wide receiver one in, in round three, you can still get a top 12 wide receiver. Um, sometimes you even can get a Justin Jefferson, somebody like that. Um, but uh, that's, I think, the sweet spot where I'm trying to avoid most of the running backs. Uh, in though in that tier, regardless of what happened earlier in, in the draft, so um, I'm pretty much uh, in line with you guys on that. But let's jump right into the let's we're gonna go through the top 50 in ADP. I know a lot of people think about their first uh, you know few rounds and, and how they're gonna approach it, and I think there's again a lot more that you don't want to do and things that you like mistakes you want to avoid than ways you can win your draft at, at this point. 
Um, but it's still about players at the end of the day. And um, so we're going to talk through each one of those and, and we'll start with Christian McCaffrey, Dave, uh, just thoughts on Christian coming off the injury, only played three games. Uh, that doesn't change his games played projection going forward for you or anything like that. Does it like this is he's no. just right back in number one. No. Spot. Uh, yeah. Like last year didn't even happen. And yep. there've been like a couple of people out there in the world who are like, aren't you worried about him being hurt again? And I mean, he's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 do you want me to try and quantify his awesomeness for you? This is the best that I can do. He gave you at least 15 PPR points in 30 of his last 35 games. That's an 86% success rate. It's hard to be 70% and he's 86%. Let's bump it up to 20 PPR points. He's done that in 27 of his last 35 games. That's 77%. That's pretty damn good. I also, I, one of the things I do during the off season is I study the schedules for every team rate every defense. I, I go through this process to try and get an idea of where I can find an edge with players based on who they're actually playing. McCaffrey's got a top five schedule for the first four weeks of the season. It's an awesome way for him to ease back into football. And, and I say ease, he's not going to be necessarily eased in. Coaches haven't said that. I'm just saying that he's going to be in a position to really get right back at it against some really mediocre opponents, including the Jets right there off the bat in week one. I, ha I, I do not blink. I take Christian McCaffrey number one overall. Uh, check that. If it's a two-quarterback league or a super flex league, I might blink. I might take Mahomes at number one. But in other leagues, other formats, I'm starting one quarterback. I don't care how many receivers or tight ends. I'm starting. I'm going with McCaffrey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sean, any uh, any disagreement there? Any any further things to yeah. add from CMC? Nope, no hesitation for me. And, you know, you always make that great point where, you know, people probably – uh, underestimate the chances of a guy like Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara or Derrick Henry actually outscoring CMC this year. Um, but the, the the point is the only time you can ever really get CMC is with the mm -hmm. first pick. So that's why I do take him first pick, knowing damn well that he, he doesn't mean he's going to finish the number one running back, but he is the odds on favorite. So that's why I do that because you can only get him with the first pick usually. He doesn't fall to you number two. And then when I have the second pick, I usually mix up, you know, Dalvin Cook mostly and then Kamara Henry. So that's kind of why I definitely force it when I have the first pick. Take Christian McCaffrey number one. That is not advice people came to this pod for. So I got something for y'all. I got something. I got something for y'all. I'll start with you, Dave. Here's the real question. Okay. You take Christian McCaffrey first. You're in great, you're in a great spot. You're sitting there late in the draft, feeling good about your team. You're thinking about handcuffing. Okay. Do you handcuff and and who's the guy? I wasn't uh, impressed with Chuba Hubbard. Not that impressed with Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I was in Indy for that preseason game, and so I, I I thought he was all right. I didn't think he was great. I think that's who the Panthers are going to go with. Um, deeper leagues, yes. If I've got seven plus bench spots, not including IR spots. Uh, I will definitely throw the dart at Hubbard, but it's got to be in like round 16 plus. Sean? Yeah, Hubbard for me. Um, and I don't think you necessarily need to own CMC to target him. We saw last year when CMC went down, Mike Davis was a borderline RB1. I, I do like this scheme under Joe Brady. I think uh, Hubbard, uh, no matter if you look good or not, the first preseason game, I think he'll get the touches. 
Um, so I could see him being, you know, a low end RB2 flex play if CMC were to go down. So he's not necessarily handcuffed, just he's a high upside backup running back. I think uh, we'll get the majority of the touches if CMC were to go down. Yeah, I, I like the, the the call of drafting Hubbard pretty much regardless of whether you have CMC or not. Uh, I do like him as a handcuff because he is a, essentially a free handcuff. And those are the handcuffs I like. Like, I never really like having to reach on a guy like Latavius Murray just because I had Alvin Kamara or anything like that. But Hubbard, you can get him for free. And if you kind of look at the way the franchise is thinking about it, right? They had Christian McCaffrey, high usage guy. He misses 13 games last year. They have a veteran step in in Mike Davis who plays pretty well, plays so well that he actually gets a contract elsewhere. They let him go. They draft this guy in the fourth round and, you know, don't really sign any other veterans to compete with them. Um, so that tells me that this was their investment into, you know, what happens if CMC goes down again. Like, this is their guy. Uh, so yeah, I think it. I think it's a smart move to uh, to grab him uh, in that 16th round or whenever the last pick before your kicker, your defense. Uh, he should almost certainly uh, be there. So uh, that's our valuable talk on, on Christian McCaffrey. It's actually who, who who's his handcuff? Who's going to play if he gets hurt? Because everyone knows, take him number one, Dave. Number two, there's some debate up for that. You have Dalvin Cook, you have Alvin Kamara, you have Derrick Henry. Does it? For you, is there a clear guy or does it potentially depend on the scoring system or how are you kind of differentiating between those three backs? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning toward format. If it's PPR, half PPR, I'll take Dalvin Cook. I just love how he's been the last couple of years, but you got to love how Derrick Henry's played the last couple of years too. And he's, he's the guy in non-PPR. And there are times where I think about him even in half and full PPR because he's just so dominant. And perfect world situation and i i kind of have to preface it by saying perfect world situation because the receivers in tennessee are banged up right now chris but if julio is on the field and aj brown's on the field defenses are in a massive bind um case in point the the falcons when julio was there they faced seven or fewer in the box over 80 percent of the time when derrick henry has faced seven or fewer in the box he's averaged six yards per carry that's just that was the case last year, just as an example. So the Titans are trying to make their opponents pick their poison, and it's really strong poison because if you pick stopping Derrick Henry, it's one v one with those receivers, and they're going to win. And if they try and stop the receivers, Derrick Henry is going to eat you alive. And I think that the idea of a more efficient Derrick Henry should really be exciting to fantasy managers. And the downside to Henry is that he's had 400 touches, if you include the playoffs, each of the past two years. So he is a breakdown candidate. And I don't think the Titans are going to start giving work away to Jeremy McNichols or Darrington Evans, or at least not enough work to make Derrick Henry a bad pick. So in non-PPR, I like him a little bit better. But when those catches count, Dalvin Cook is my guy at two. And what are your thoughts on, on Kamara? Is he just a clear four for you, or are you, are you even going with somebody else over him? No, he he's my he's my three in PPR. I'll take him over Henry in PPR because I still think there's I, I think there's a floor of sixty something catches, which is equal to ten touchdowns, and there's a ceiling of maybe even ninety. We haven't seen him get to ninety catches yet in his career, but I think he could be there. And you can tell that Sean Payton is trying to drill it into his quarterback's heads. You've got to throw it Alvin Kamara. We need you to throw it Alvin Kamara, please, because. We don't really have a whole lot of else right now in the offense, although I might disagree with Sean Payton on that because Marquez Callaway does actually look great, and Michael Thomas will eventually be back. 
So I think Camara will be schemed up in that offense, and they really have no choice but to do it. I like him third in PPR. Henry would be fourth, but in non-PPR, Kamara's fifth. And so I would go McCaffrey, Henry, Cook, Zeke, Kamara. Kamara, did I say that right? Did I, did I do that right or did I mess up again? Let me say it again. McCaffrey one, Henry two, Cook three, Zeke four, Kamara five. That's my order in non-PPR. Ooh, okay. We got it. We're going to talk all about Zeke, but I just, uh, Sean, any thoughts on this kind of, the, the trio here, which I think, you know, some people kind of second guess themselves between which of the, you know, Cook, Henry, uh, Kamara, they should go with if they have the uh, the number two pick. Yeah, so standard formats. Um, it's Cook and Henry really a toss up for me at number two. I mean, Henry is super valuable in standard formats. Then Kamara and then Nick Chubb for me over Zeke, actually. I think Nick Chubb is great for standard yeah. format. Um, a lot of the problems with him, you know, the lack of receiving work. So he's my number five in standard, um, for half PPR it's cook for me at number two. I think, uh, he's sort of in a tier by himself in half PPR and then Camara and Henry is really a toss up, uh, for number three. Um, you know, I, I had been mainly drafting Henry there. I would say 55 to 45, uh, split between the two, but I've been trying to get it back to 50, 50 because of Michael Thomas being out. Uh, the first six games or so. And, you know, Dave made a great point that the quarterbacks are going to have to give the ball to Kamara. They, they don't have a choice. Sean Payton isn't stupid. Um, he's going to scheme up a, a ton of passing work for Kamara. Um, so I think, you know, you, you can't go wrong with either one, uh, third off the board and half PPR. Then PPR, um, I, I think Kamara's number two, actually, uh, just barely over Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, he's made for PPR formats. Um, and then Henry's pretty much in his own tier uh, at number four in PPR. He takes a massive, massive hit in PPR format. So that's that's how I'm approaching these three backs in the, the different scoring systems. Yeah, it kind of works out in a way in that you could kind of, like if you had the number two pick, you, depending on the three different scoring systems, you could conceivably go with, you know, three different guys. You could go Kamara in full, Dalvin in half, and then Henry in, in standard. And I think you'd be fine. And you'd be making the right pick. Yeah. Um, either way. And, and Kamara is just, I think, you know, I, I like to get him number two, especially in PPR, just because uh, you look at his splits without Michael Thomas and he averages 20 PPR points, you know, normally, but 30 uh, without Michael Thomas. Now, will that be this without hold up without Drew Brees? Maybe not, but there's just such a huge ceiling because he has to be their entire offense. Uh, that and it's like he's still a top four pick, so it's not like you're really taking a risk there anyway. Um, so I, I like to sometimes take that upside for him, number two. And he actually was the lightest used of the three of those three guys, so um, you know, maybe a tiny bit less uh injury risk, but uh, yeah, love all those guys, love getting a top four pick. Uh, then it gets yes. interesting, then it gets really interesting. So, Dave, now I'm curious about you said you would actually take Zeke over uh Kamara in standard talk to talk to me about Zeke in general and then why why in standard well when when you think about stacked boxes and and how running backs do against those lighter boxes Zeke is kind of proof positive that you can be very successful especially behind a big offensive line with really big guards I think he's got that there um we're we're all very excited about Dak Prescott coming back and throwing to CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and, and Michael Gallup but this is a team that will lean on its running backs. And before Dak got hurt last year, I wish I could bring it up on, I, I got it. I got it somewhere around on my machine, but just 
unbelievably consistent from game to game. Uh, before last year, his career success rate in non-PPR was 91%. You're looking for 10 non-PPR points. He gave you that 51 out of 56 games um, through 2019. And then uh, he, had, he was 5 of 5 with Prescott last year. So in non-PPR, I think you can look at Ezekiel Elliott as, as close to a sure thing as you can get. He's a little bit older, but not too old. He's a little bit leaner, which might make you worry a little bit about how he could hold up over the course of the season. And you could always you know, make a suggestion about Tony Pollard and how he'll do. But I, I think Ezekiel Elliott is in line for another really good year. And it, if he catches 45 passes on top of 1,600 total yards and 12 or 13 touchdowns, he probably won't finish that far off from Alvin Kamara in half and full PPR either. So I'm I'm pretty bullish on Ezekiel Elliott. There are a lot of people that are scared to take him. I don't really know what quite happened last year in terms of his own skill set. He was fumbling all over the place. I think he was nervous to run because his offensive. This is what this is my take. It's not what I've heard, but my take is is that the offensive line failing, the quarterback getting hurt, defense is changing the way they played against the Cowboys changed the way that Zeke played and he became a little bit more tentative and then he tried to force things a little bit on top of that and maybe that's when the fumbles happened I think that changes this year as long as Dak is healthy and the O-line mm-hmm. yeah I think that the O-line is a big part of it I mean last year as far as injuries go just it was just a nightmare scenario I mean I, I remember the Cowboys going through like four or five different centers and it was just it was like everything that could go wrong, you know, did go wrong in that sense. Cause you already lost your quarterback. Now you're losing your, your old lineman. Like it was just, it was, it was rough. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on, on Zeke? And, and then I know you said you would take Nick Chubb over Zeke. So talk, talk a little bit about a little bit about that. Yeah, that was just for uh, standard formats. Um, and, you know, I, I would consider them a toss up really, but I, I do think uh, Zeke is going to have a monster season. You know, he gets Dak healthy. Uh, he gets his O-line back healthy and he's due for some massive positive touchdown regression. Um, last year, he only scored five touchdowns on 26 carries inside the five yard line. It, your average running back, um, we would expect close to 10 touchdowns on that many attempts inside the five. I don't consider Zeke to be average, especially around the goal line. So right. um, I, I think he's due for some massive positive touchdown regression there. Um, you know, as Dave mentioned, defenses are going to have to try to slow this passing game. So Zeke's going to have plenty of holes to run through. Um, I, I love him this year. So yeah, don't worry about my, uh, my standard rankings. I think half PPR uh, formats, uh, he's clearly the number five back for me. Let me just give you the consistency numbers one last time for, for Zeke. And this is just my selling point on him. Uh, in his last 61 games with Dak Prescott, and I believe that's four years, and that includes the five games together last year, 10 plus non-PPR points, 91.8% of the time. Mm. You would yep. have to be really picky. That's like saying, <laughs> I've, I've got a girl for you to date, and she's a 9 out of 10, and you go, eh, sorry, I only date 10s. Um, and then with PPR, 15-plus in PPR, he's done that 50 in his last 61 with Dak. That's 82%. These are otherworldly numbers. And so counting on that type of consistency, even if he takes a step back, he'll be great. So I, I wouldn't worry about Ezekiel Elliott at all. I, I think he's worth that top five overall pick. Yeah. Yeah. He's really like emerged as my, you know, RB five, like earlier in the off season, there were a couple guys I was thinking about up there, but now really 
the guy that if I'm not taking Zeke fifth overall, the guy I'm taking instead of him is Devontae Adams. Um, I'm going, I'm just going to a different position. Like it's not about, there's no running back that I want uh, after those top four uh, more than, than Zeke. And, and that's a really good point. You know, his whole entire career was played with Dak Prescott, who's been a pretty strong quarterback. I mean, you know, he catches a lot of flack, but I mean, since, since year one, he was, uh, efficient, did not throw interceptions and gave opposing defenses enough to worry about that. Uh, you know, you couldn't just completely zero in on, on Zeke or he would beat you. So uh, I think, you know, getting Dak back, that's kind of key because, you know, Andy Dalton last year, and then, you know, they had a couple other guys starting Danucci for games. It was just, again, everything that could go wrong, uh, did go wrong. So yeah, I'm on board with Zeke here, uh, at, at for the RB five, uh, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a guy that goes, especially in a lot of high stakes leagues, I see him going in the first front half of the first round. Uh, some more casual leagues, he may still go toward the, the middle to the back end. But Dave, what are your thoughts on Travis Kelsey? How high should he be going? Uh, have you found yourself taking a lot of him or not? I see him as a tight end who's finished number one at his position in PPR points per game each of the last five years. You want to talk about consistency, that's the old 100%. That's the 10 out of 10. Uh, I, I My style is to go after running backs in round one usually, but when I get to a point where there, I feel like there's like a little drop-off at running back, that's when I'll go to Kelsey. I think Kelsey is as safe as it gets. I think he's safer than Devonta Adams, which is saying something because Devonta Adams has been a number one wide receiver in PPR points per game two of the last three years. Kelsey's just managed to do it five straight years at a position that's really hard to get great production from in fantasy. So I'm excited to have Travis Kelsey on my squad. I'm going to pull up my PPR rankings and tell you who I would take ahead of him and go ahead in your own mind and say, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I disagree. And then maybe you'll have an idea on where you're comfortable taking Travis Kelsey. So here we go. McCaffrey, I'm taking ahead of him. Cook, Kamara, Henry, Zeke, taking those guys ahead of Kelsey too. I'm taking Aaron Jones ahead of him. I'm taking Jonathan Taylor ahead of him. I'm taking Austin Eckler ahead of him. And for now, I'm taking Saquon Barkley ahead of him. Barkley coming off the pup list gave me a little bit of optimism, enough to say, okay, maybe he's got a shot at putting up another banner year. There's obviously risk there when you take a Saquon Barkley. He could end up busting on you. So, for example, let's just say you're cool with those first seven names I gave you, but when it comes, or the eight names, I, or the first eight names I gave you, because I threw Eckler in there too, but not Barkley. Well, now you've made your red line in the round one. Now you know where you can put Travis Kelsey. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think it's the, the thing is, it's going to be, there's usually somebody in the draft that's taken him like earlier than at least I want to take him. So usually he comes off the board right after like a, a Devante or, you know, sometimes even before as, as high as like fourth or fifth. So um, I haven't been able to get much of him. Sean, I'm curious, uh, what are your thoughts on Kelsey and how have you been able to actually draft him uh, a bunch this season? Yeah. So I think he deserves to go fifth overall. Um, you know, when I look at my projected points, uh, it's about an 80 point drop off between him and the tight end four. Whereas, you know, wide receiver, an 80-point drop-off is wide receiver one all the way down to wide receiver 25. Um, so I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the projection drop-off, it certainly makes sense that he should be a top five pick. However, I think just with my draft strategy, if you have the fifth pick, you might get Darren Waller 
to, you know, he'll, he'll probably fall to you in round two. That might be a little too early to take him, but you could probably get Darren Waller in round three. Um, so I'd rather just roll the dice and see if I can get a massive value like Darren Waller in round three. Whereas if you're taking Kelsey at pick five, you're almost drafting him closer to his ceiling. Um, so I, I'd probably lean towards a running back or wide receiver there. Um, I think that really the sweet spot for Kelsey is picks, you know, seven through 12. That's where I've been getting him because guy like Darren Waller is not going to make it back to you in round three. Um, so that's why I think it makes it even more critical to take a guy like Kelsey somewhere between pick seven and pick 12. Yeah. The interesting thing about Kelsey is this is his first year, like squarely in the first round. Like last year, sometimes he would go in the first round. A lot of times he would go by the turn. Uh, and if you look at the, the best ball win rates with Kelsey, I, I believe he was the most, uh, you know, the profitable player, but it was because teams were able to pair him with a guy like Devonte Adams, uh, pair him with a guy with a, with a high end running back, somebody, you know, now you're not going to, if you're drafting Kelsey where he a lot of times goes in the, you know, early to mid first round, you know, by the time the, the, the guys that make it back to you, there's not going to be really a sure thing at running back the way there is, you know, more so in that, in the first round, so it's a, it's a little tougher. I tend to stay away for that reason. And because I'm really looking for my, like that overall league winner in that, in that first round. Right. And so if I'm trying to choose between, okay, the overall tight end one, even with the drop-off versus the overall wide receiver one or the overall running back one, I'm going to try to shoot for that wide receiver or running back. Cause like last year, for example, the number one receiver was Devontae Adams. He had mm -hmm. 358 PPR points. Travis Kelsey was a number one tight end, and he had 313 PPR points. So that's a, about a 45-point difference. Alvin Kamara, the RB1 in PPR, 378 PPR points. So that's about you know over 60 points separating them. And in 2019, there were about a dozen guys that beat out Kelsey, even though he finished, uh, that beat out the tight end one. So, you know, it's, it's tough for a tight end, even in an all-time great season to score on par with, with these other, with the running backs and wide receivers. And Kelsey, the fact that he's even come close is just a testament to how good he, him and Mahomes and that connection is. But I think I think to Sean's point, you know, you're you're drafting him at his ceiling here, and that's not something I really want to do. So I'm I'm with you, Dave. I'm looking for the running backs early, um, and then Devonte is that guy for me, just because uh, I think he can give you that score that's on par. You know, if if I'm if those top four running backs are gone, I think he can give you that score that if it doesn't beat those top four running backs, it still beats everyone else. Um, whereas I I think Kelsey still comes up. You know, I haven't project projected you know, a couple points per game below uh, those guys. So, um, yeah, haven't been able to get much Kelsey. Uh, don't hate it. It's just, it's more of like a best ball, you know, thing for me, trying to get some diversified portfolios and things like that. Sure. In, a, in a regular redraft league, I don't, I guess it would be fair to say we don't recommend people taking Kelsey, like, uh, until he drops, right? Like, until he's at the end of the round, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if, if you can get him there, uh, more power to you, but it's 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 been tough to get him and uh his teammate Tyreek Hill he's kind of you know in that conversation with Devontae Adams at least earlier in the offseason when there was that question mark of is Aaron Rodgers going to play this season now Aaron Rodgers is back that moves Devontae ahead of him Dave what are your thoughts on on Hill 
how he compares to Kelsey, how he compares to Adams, how he compares to the other running backs that you can get uh, in the first round at his ADP. So I, he's, he's behind pretty much everybody that we're talking about right after Kelsey in my PPR rankings is Devonte Adams because of the finishes that Devonte Adams has had the consistency that he's had the last four years in PPR. He's finished as wide receiver one. This is in points per game, not overall points uh, first, sixth, first and 12th uh, last four years. And the 12th one sucked. Rogers wasn't healthy that year. Um, I, I think he's worth a first round pick. And if you're drawing that red line for where you'll take Kelsey, but you're a pick later than where that red line is. And someone takes Kelsey in front of you and you're looking for that safe player who might not be a running back. I think Devonte Adams is it in PPR, but in non PPR and half PPR, I would say Devonte's that guy non PPR. I'm going to lean toward Tyreek. I think Tyreek has been close enough to where Devonte Adams has been in non PPR points per game. Each of the last four years, one of the years he was way ahead of Devonte Adams. That was that year that Rogers got hurt. But just as an example, last year, Devontae, 17 non-PPR points per game. Tyreek, 15.3. They were first and second in non-PPR points per game. Uh, 2019, 10.4 for Devontae, 10.3 for Tyreek. So they were basically the same. 2018, Devontae was 14.2. Tyreek was 14.3. He was first, and Devontae was second. I think that uh, one of the reasons why I'm down on Aaron Rodgers this year is because his schedule is going to be tougher. His offensive line isn't going to be as good. And I think that Devontae Adams is certainly somebody who's ripe for some regression. But I still think he's going to get a ton of targets. So I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth with Devontae Adams. But those targets, they mean a lot to me when it comes to PPR. That means a lot of catches. Tyreek won't have as many catches. But Tyreek should have more yards. Nothing's really changing in that Kansas City offense. In fact, their offensive line got better. They'll be able to protect Patrick Mahomes more. I don't think they're going to improve that offensive line and say, well, let's run the football more. They, they want the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands. So Tyreek, non-PPR only, is ahead of Devontae Adams. It basically means I'm not taking Devontae Adams in non-PPR leagues. Yeah, that's interesting because that's actually how uh, my projections shape out too. It's, you know, Devontae, clear edge in PPR, but those touchdown, that touchdown projection for Tyreek in standard leagues and combined with just that yardage upside, you know, he's obviously getting more per catch. Um, you know, it's just, it, it does give him a little bit uh, more upside. Sean, where are you on, on Tyreek Hill? Yeah, so I think it's, it's really a toss-up between these two guys um i would give the edge the slight edge to Devonte adams and half ppr um he was a little bit more consistent last year he finishes a wide receiver one 50 of the time uh whereas tyreek finishes wide receiver one 40 47 percent of the time he had that one massive 51 point game against tampa bay um that's kind of what you get with tyreek is a much much higher ceiling but you know Devonte is going to hit his ceiling a bit more often so i like that a bit more in, you know, head-to-head -head format, um, season-long format. So um, can't go wrong with either. I'd probably lean 54% uh, of the time going with Adams here over Tyreek. Um, I think, Raybon, you've made the good point that considering this is probably the last season for Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, it wouldn't surprise me if he targets Adams even more <laughs> this year, just to <laughs> prove a point. But, um, you know, Rodgers is probably due for some slight touchdown regression himself. He had an insane 9.1% touchdown rate last year. But still, you know, Adams is his guy in the red zone. So I think we kind of know what we're going to get with Adams. Um, again, I, I don't think you go wrong with either guy. As soon as, you know, the, the fifth pick, um, just based on my draft strategy, I, I think it's okay taking one of these guys inside the top five. 
Yeah, the thing I love about Adams is it's like because he's not making these huge plays like Tyreek, they're still getting down the field. So it's just like a couple added receptions. Like they'll get the same yardage, but it's just Devontae will need a couple extra receptions to get it because he's not like this superhuman speed freak. Um, But that can work against Tyreek in in like full PPR formats because, you know, Devontae will have a drive where he'll get like, you know, three, five catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. And Tyreek will be like one catch, 70 yards and a touchdown. (laughs) He's almost too good. Right. He's too good. Literally. Like, um, so having having Mahomes as his quarterback helps a little bit too. Yeah. Oh yeah. That helps. Yeah. And I mean, and Devante, you know, it's the reason I, I, I like him over Zeke, especially in full PPR, or at least I take him more often than not. It's not like a hundred percent, but I take him more often than Zeke is because when you look at the floors, I just think, you know, regardless of what my projection is for Zeke this year, uh, in the first round, especially, but early in the draft, you're you're trying not to to take too many risks, and just that the floor separates it from you. Whereas we've seen Zeke's kind of floor and what can go wrong, and how how it looks when it goes wrong, a little more recently than we've seen it with Devonte, and um, so that's really the only thing separating those two guys. But uh, yeah, Tyreek Hill, I mean, it's just it, 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 he's a fun guy to own, maybe even more fun than Devonte, just because you do have that that fifty point ceiling, but. Uh, yeah, slight edge to Devontae for me in, in all but standard leagues. Uh, let's let's talk about some other receivers. Uh, we'll get back to the running backs and Saquon and all those guys in a second. But, uh, Dave, you have Calvin Ridley. Uh, sometimes he goes in the top five. Sometimes he goes in the top four. Uh, and, and you also have DK Metcalf creeping up there, too. Do you like any of those guys before Stephon Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins? Um, or And how do you kind of – uh, approach those guys are you drafting a lot of them or are you kind of going running back there i'm going running back pretty frequently there so I'm, I'm taking the aggressive approach of trying to win that running back position rather than going with the safe play at wide receiver and i think i think they're all safe plays i can kind of make the case against deandre as a not as safe as last year type of play but the, the way buffalo's rolling that offense is going through josh allen like i'm not touching the bills running backs unless it's around 36 <laughs> um, maybe I'll take, maybe I'll take Devin Singletary in round 22. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think Josh Allen is throwing and I think Diggs is his target. Um, half the reason why Allen had the breakout year was because he got Stefan Diggs and those intermediate targets, uh, even when they weren't necessarily on target, they started getting caught and there were plays after the catch and it made a huge difference for, for Josh Allen's numbers, but also for Stefan Diggs numbers. So he's three for me. Uh, I watched Ridley practice yesterday against the the Dolphins in Miami, and he was crushing that secondary. And you know that secondary is good. And that was on the second day of the practice. The first day, he was crushing him just as much. Uh, Calvin Ridley, to me, he's a lock for a ton of targets. I think he's an easy guy to go ahead and take as one of the top five receivers. I currently have DeAndre Hopkins next up, and I've got him and A.J. Brown ahead of D.K. Metcalf. And I, I could stand to spend... 60 seconds on both of those receivers, Hopkins and Metcalf. I'm going to try and be a little quicker than that. Hopkins is sharing a little bit more. I think Rondell Moore is real. I think A.J. Green might be real too. And I think Chase Edmonds and his role in the passing game is going to be a real thing. The offense in Arizona is going to flow through Kyler Murray, just like the offense in Buffalo flows through Josh Allen. And so there's going to be a little bit more competition for targets for Hopkins. That means that he should be a little bit more efficient but it wouldn't surprise me if his target share dipped just a little bit. I still have him fifth, but definitely behind Diggs and Ridley. And then with DK Metcalf, 
We know that the Seattle offense is supposed to go up tempo, quick pace. They want Russ to get rid of the ball quickly. I think that helps DK because he's a guy that you look, just look at his body. He's somebody that can break tackles and make plays after the catch. When they were in the red zone last year, I want to say that DK Metcalf had 14 targets from Wilson when Wilson threw it under two and a half seconds. So we're talking about like screens and slants, real short routes where they're asking the receiver to make a play after the catch. And Metcalf was a monster in that regard in terms of targets in the red zone. It didn't necessarily reflect itself in touchdowns. He had a lot of them, but he didn't necessarily score every single time he had one of those types of targets in the red zone. But he's someone that's going to be featured there. And I, I think the case can be made that the Seahawks will throw more than they have in the past. DK will be the top target getter in that offense. Lockett will be behind them, but when they get in the red zone, that's where the focus is going to be. And defenses will know it, and the Seahawks won't care because DK Metcalf is that damn good of a receiver in terms of size, speed, and having that my ball mentality when it's up in the air that it just leaves defenses in a, a no-win position. Yeah, DK, I mean, he he and Ridley stand out as those guys that can really finish – you know, obviously the others have already proven it, but those guys that could finish as the number one receiver overall, like if they just, you know, have one of those years where the targets just go way up for whatever reason, um, you know, I could see Ridley leading the league in targets, uh, I think for an Atlanta team that, you know, their defense probably not going to be too great. You know, Matt Ryan has had Julio all these years to be a target hog. And now you're dealing, I mean, you have Kyle Pitts, but he's a rookie. And then every, like, you know, in the backfield, you don't really have a guy that you want to give like 80 catches to, uh, so it could be a monster year. And then, and then DK Metcalf, I mean, he's just, if he's just good, like he can go deep. He has a, a quarterback that throws 30 plus touchdowns year in, year out, uh, and can throw the deep ball better than pretty much anyone in, in the history of the game. So uh, love both of those guys, uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on Ridley uh, on DK? And when are you, when are you taking them? Uh, like who's on the board when you're saying, okay, I want to take those guys instead of the running backs. Yeah, so I, I have these guys ranked um, in half PPR, Diggs, Ridley, Hopkins, uh, Metcalf. Um, and, you know, last year, it was, it was way more fun being able to get Ridley around wide receiver 15. Oh, yeah. Um, I think DK Metcalf was like wide receiver 12, so I had way mm -hmm. more shares of them last year. Um, you know, for me, I, I'm okay with taking any of these guys sort of uh, early round two um, after you have a good running back. But for me, the, the dream start to a draft is having a top four pick, getting one of the top running backs and then having one of these guys, usually it's DK Metcalf fall to me in round two and then getting Darren Waller in round three. That is the dream start um, for me in a draft. And, you know, Dave made some good points about DK Metcalf. Uh, you know, I love him this year. He's going to have a year three breakout. So if you can get him at the end of round two, um, basically I have these four base they're in their own tier. I have them projected almost evenly. So getting DK Metcalf, as the last receiver out of this tier, I think is the play um, because I, I think his upside this year is through the roof. So um, he, he's the guy I've been getting the most out of this tier. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I love getting a top four pick because when I get a top four pick, I usually end up using a strategy, which, you know, people are calling uh, hero RB, I guess now where like you get one I'm running back one. early right. and then you just kind of, you don't touch it and really until the, you don't, 
go in the middle rounds in that frozen pond here, you avoid it. And then you, yeah. you just draft all receivers and hope maybe a stud tight end and you pick it back up and try to get your, your second running back, maybe, you know, in the sixth or the seventh, or maybe the fifth if somebody falls to you, but you're, you're, you're using those high leverage rounds on, on pass catchers. And yeah. I think you can have a really great start from those top four picks when you go, as Sean said, I mean, uh, a top four back and then you can get like a DK or an AJ Brown or a, a, a Justin Jefferson or maybe a Hopkins even and and still get a Kittle or a Waller so you can have potentially you know if things break right you know I know Travis Kelsey's been killing but you can have like a top two top one two guy at each position or guys that and guys that are going to truly challenge for that top overall spot at three different positions um, so I think there's a big edge to kind of getting one of those four those, those top four picks if you don't have one, I think um, that like the end, like drafting near to the end of the first round, that's when I double up on running backs the most. I think. Um, what about you, Dave? Like when do, when do you find yourself like doubling up? Is it just throughout, or is there any spot in particular um, where you see yourself doubling up on RB more? I mean, it, I do it very frequently. Certainly toward the back half of round one. I'm, I already told you that I'm taking a lot of running backs ahead of Travis Kelsey. So let's say I'm picking eighth and Austin Eckler's there, I'm taking Austin Eckler, and then when I come back around in round two, um, sometimes Mixon's there, be happy to have him. Sometimes Chubb is there, even in PPR, love to take him there. Um, for now, I'm cool with Najee Harris. I, I need to keep watching that offensive line. I'm a little bit worried that that offensive line could harpoon everything in Pittsburgh, and that would be problematic. And even somebody as talented as Najee, uh, could fall prey to that offensive line not being great because defenses will be able to attack. But yeah, usually I'm finding one of those running backs. Gibson is one of those running backs. Gibson I've got ranked as a top 12 guy in non-PPR, and I actually have him at 12 in full PPR. I'm taking him ahead of Tyreek Hill because I do believe in his role in that Washington offense growing. And I think as crazy as his touchdown rate was last year, I think there's room for it to maybe, it might come down a little bit, but his carries will go up so that it could end up staying the same and, and be a double-digit touchdown guy. So that's somebody else that I'm especially excited to take as my second running back. Usually I'm going running back, running back when I'm in the back of round one. And when I'm in that first range of one through four in PPR, that's usually going to be more of running back tight end, unless a Gibson, a Chubb, a Mixon, um, and sometimes a Harris slides to me in round two. Yeah, the the pick kind of dictates that running back, running back start, I think, late because it's it's a little early when you're picking in the front half of the second or you know like very early in the second especially to go with to go with a guy like Waller like um it's just you know there's a little more value at, at running back and even at wide receiver I think I think that middle of the second is usually the earliest I'd go I, I prefer to get him uh you know near that much closer to the turn um and, and also you don't because you don't have that that top four guy uh, you really, I think it makes a little more sense to then take like the, the double shot at two guys that, you know, if, if worse comes to worse, you, you know, maybe you still get like this, your second guy is like a top 20 guy or something like that. But right. One because, of them, yeah. one of them is okay. And the other one is great. It's yeah. kind of, it's not the worst case scenario, obviously, but it's probably the more likely scenario than both of them being great or both of them sucking. You know yeah. what I mean? So one yeah. one will hit their ADP, and the other one will probably disappoint you a little, but not too bad. If you go back to to 2014, uh, the like if you look at top 10 running backs, the median overall average draft position for a running back that goes on to finish in the top 10 
is pick 19. So that means but by, by the time you get to the end of the second round, more than half of the eventual like top 10, not even this is not even top three, like top 10 running backs will be already selected. So mm-hmm. that's why I think it makes sense to, to, to go, you know, double up early on. And again, like if you, there's only three, there's well, if you're not taking Kelsey in the first, there's only two stud tight ends. So, you know, there's still a really good chance that you're not going to get one, even if you want one. And so I don't think, I think you, you're going to like the way your team looks if you start running back, running back, and then you can go, you go wide receivers in the, in the next three. Uh, I think that's going to be a really solid team. I agree. Uh, mock it. If you're not sure about what, what Chris just said, find a site, mock it, and then decide if you like it. Speaking of deciding if we like it, is uh, Sean and I have been kind of anti Saquon. I think. Um, All right. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people are really excited. He uh, he came off the pup list, and now he's a he's a first round pick who's gonna put up like two thousand scrimmage yards. <laughs> where Dave? Where are you on on Saquon? Um, uh, and I, I'll give you my take at the end because I don't want to kind of any more than that. Just but like, where are you on sure. Saquon? I'm, I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt off of his 2019 season because that's 2018, 2019, you saw what he was able to do. He was amazing. And so you, you kind of forgive him for getting a torn ACL, but you can't quite overlook that it's taking him so long to come back from it. You knew he wasn't going to play. He could have been perfectly healthy. You knew he wouldn't play in the preseason anyway. One of the nitpicks that I do have on Saquon, though, is that the track record with Daniel Jones as his quarterback has meant fewer targets. They've played 12 games together. They've averaged 4.2 targets per game in those 12 games. That's a little scary. That's an 11% target share in 2019. But then in 2020, when they played, you know, one five quarters together or whatever, uh, it was a 22% target share. You're hoping for that, but you can't rank him on that. It's way too small of a sample size. Some people would say 12 games together is too small of a sample size. But I think Daniel Jones, I think the Giants know that they have to lean on Saquon. Even though they've added all these pieces to their passing game, some of these pieces aren't healthy right now. Galladay is not at 100%. Tony isn't all the way back yet. And even when Tony comes back, he's still got a lot to learn. This is a hard-headed coaching staff that's not going to rush Tony on the field. When you put all their pass-catching options in place on the field, yeah, that should lighten boxes against Saquon, but it's not going to happen right away. And that offensive line, I'm not sure if that offensive line, Chris and Sean, is good enough to make things easy for Saquon, where he can get three, four, five yards before anybody touches him, like the Patriots were able to get against the Eagles' second-string defense in their preseason game <laughs> uh, this past week. You saw that, You saw that, right? Like, you can't overrate Patriots running backs based on that game. It was a nightmare. And you can't quite overrate Saquon because of what he did in the past, but you have to acknowledge it. And so I'm currently okay with him as a late first-round pick you're probably winning or losing your league based on Saquon Barkley in round one. You'd much rather take him in round two. Who wouldn't rather have Saquon Barkley in round two? But you, when, when you're picking Barkley in round one, and maybe this is the case for Kelsey out of Barkley, you figure you're going to get somebody comparable to what's left from 11th overall, between 11 and 15th overall, when you're up in round two. So it almost doesn't matter. That, that you're taking Saquon there because the player that you get in round two is going to help your roster regardless. And so you're taking the chance on Saquon coming through. Uh, he's definitely not as safe as Travis Kelsey 
I'm, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking maybe I need to move Kelsey up and put Saquon behind that red line that I've been talking about. The upside is there. He seems healthy. You look at him in practice. He's moving fine. There's just all that other peripheral issues that make me nervous to say top five pick. Don't worry about it. Saquon's going to be great, but that potential is there and you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. The, the potential is there. I do think it, like, I think you made a really good point about the targets. Like I think some of the quote unquote upside that people are drafting him, you know, very early for, I don't think the situation is the same because, you know, they're, they're not going to, uh, Part, I don't, he's not gonna, I don't think he's gonna uh, run a route as much. Like he was just used at such a high level that rookie year. Like he was the only guy on offense. Um, I, I just think it's gonna, it's a different offense. It's a different coaching staff. Um, it, you know, it's, it's not Eli Manning, who was the king of, you know, it was late career Eli checking down, you know, every five seconds, you know, it's Daniel Jones, point. Daniel Jones was like top, one of the top deep ball throwers, you know, when he got time. Um, but, you know, the offensive line is what does it for me because, He's that one guy, in, and I don't think this should be a concern in round one, but he's that one guy in round one for me that I actually do have concerns, not just about the health and the availability, you know, but the efficiency, because he's had five of his 15 games he's played since the start of 2019 uh, have ended with him getting 30 rushing yards or less and no rushing touchdowns. So uh, if that's because the offensive line is, is, is like he had a 13 for one game, 13 carries, one yard. Uh, he had an eight carry 10 yard game, you know, like this kid, I, I don't want that out of my number one pick. And I don't feel like there's anyone else even into round two in, in, in three, maybe that, that give me that kind of floor. Um, Sean, uh, is that kind of where you're at with Saquon too? Cause I, yeah. I just, I just don't want to take a risk in round one. I don't feel like yeah, I, I don't think you're going to be able to get him round three. Um, nope. but yeah, <laughs> there's <laughs> always the somebody point, right? else that likes Saquon more than me. So I rarely get him now. He's in a void. Um, Yes, he has our RB1 upside. I'm aware of that. But you could take elite RB1 upsides who are healthy um, entering the season and Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb. Yeah, so Barkley's an avoid for me. Um, you know, Dave made a great point. He's going to either win or lose your drafts if you take him at the end of round one. Um, I don't like taking big gambles like that in the first round. I, I want to take... Uh, safer bet like an Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb, at least they're healthy entering the season. Um, and I'm confident in my mid to late round draft strategy and in season management, obviously. So I'm not willing to just take on risk unnecessarily at the beginning. So he's a pass for me. Ray Bonds made some good points that even when he's been healthy, he has been great. Um, and this offensive line is definitely a question mark. So there's, there's enough reason for me to fade him. There's always somebody else in the draft that likes him more than me. So I'm basically getting zero shares of Barkley at the moment. It's a very polarizing topic. I think people remember that 2018 season. I'm just, again, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different coaching staff. It's a different quarterback. Tough to say the upside is exactly the same, especially coming up, you know, cutting it close with the, uh, the ACL rehab. So yeah. Could you, could you make the case that it's a different player? I mean, we, I don't think we know because we haven't seen him. Like, that's the thing. It's like, yeah. all we, all we know is that it's been taking a little longer than, than he may have liked, but he's off the pup. Now that he looks good in practice, according to people that seen him in practice. Um, I, I don't know that we know, but I, there's just the fact that we have questions. Um, so many questions compared to these other guys where it's just like, if they bust, it's just going to be because they had a freak injury and some, you know, it's not really, we don't really have these same kind of question marks or, or concerns. 
um, is enough for me to to pass on. on yeah, and he's been he's been time. very fishy when people ask him, "Are you going to be ready week one?" He doesn't even give the standard like, "Yeah, I'm shooting for that." It's always like, uh, you know, I'm taking it day by day, kind of thing. So it does make you wonder um, if he's even close to 100 percent right now. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think the, it, the bottom line is in the first round, even really the first few rounds, you're just trying to avoid risk. You're trying to like, yeah. even in like a best ball where you're looking for upside, like there's there's different levels of risk because everyone has upside in those first few rounds. It's, so it still becomes about locking in the most of it in the highest floor too, because everyone has upside. You're not really gaining yeah. an edge. It's not It's upside. not like you're taking James Conner instead of Saquon Barkley. Like right. Legit guys right. going uh, in this range. So that I, I'm with you. So that's part of the exercise is how do you line up Saquon Barkley against the Mixons and Najee Harris's, you want to talk about a guy who we haven't seen. We haven't seen Najee Harris play a regular season game yet. Um, you got to line those guys up against Saquon Barkley. And if it's all about being safe, then maybe we should be talking about taking a lot of receivers in round one. Maybe we should be talking about taking quarterbacks in round one. I know that we don't do that, and I know why we don't do that. But it, it just goes back to why Saquon is still a first-round pick for me. It's because he does have that upside. He's playing the position that scores a ton of points. We've seen him do it before. Um, but if, if you do get squeamish about that and you don't want to lose your draft in round one, Saquon's not for you. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe well, maybe a running back is not for you. It depends on. Well, how no, you are. I think I just think I think it's wide receivers are obviously like there are some of them that are safer, but I don't think the issue is running backs. Like we know they're going to miss a few more games, but I think the risk and reward kind of balances out for running backs overall because again, like the 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 guys that are going to finish in the top ten, half of them are going to be gone by round like before round two ends and it's going to be tough to find, you know, them throughout the draft. It's going to be more about luck and you having, you know, the right guy that busts out maybe after a couple games or something like that. So um, I think it's worth taking. It's just the risk of him at running back versus some of the other guys. So let's talk about some of these other guys. So um, Jonathan Taylor, Dave is, is another guy that people have, I think started to see some risk with. Um, I don't really see as much, but where are you uh, on Taylor and where are you on him in, in relation to a guy like Saquon? I'm taking him over Saquon. Uh, I look back at those last nine games from last year. He had 819 rushing yards, 102 receiving yards. I'm not great at math, but I know that's over 900 total yards in nine games or in seven games. I said nine, it's last seven games, 900 total yards, nine touchdowns in his last seven games. This was with an offensive line that was healthy. Quentin Nelson was there. It was with a quarterback who has retired since. So I, I don't really think that there's that much of a downgrade from, River, from Rivers to Wentz. In fact, I don't think there's a downgrade at all. I think it helps Jonathan Taylor that Wentz is there because I think he'll provide a more dangerous passing element for Indianapolis to use. He needs that line to be healthy. It sounds like it's going to be healthier sooner than later. It sounds like Nelson has a chance to make it back by week three. So maybe a couple of weeks where that efficiency isn't there for Jonathan Taylor. And then some people look to look at Jonathan Taylor from last year and say, well, what about those first, you know, he pl played in some those first 10 games or whatever it was, nine games, I think it was, where he wasn't that good. They're right. He was terrible. He looked tentative. He didn't seem confident in where he was going with, with his carries. And then something clicked with him toward the end of the year. And then he was a man on fire by the end of the year. 
And as much as I can say that Carson Wentz is a guy who's an upgrade from Phillip Rivers in that offense, this offense is going around Jonathan Taylor. And you look at him compared to a lot of other running backs around the league physically, the dude is a beast. He had a fumbling issue when he was at Wisconsin. He had one fumble last year. There were concerns about him being a good pass catcher of the backfield. He didn't get a lot of targets last year, but he had 16 catches in those last seven games. It's nothing to sneeze at, I guess. It's, what, two and a quarter catches per game. Maybe he ends up right around there in 2021. I see more upside with him than I do with Saquon. I see more upside with him than I do with Mixon, or in, in terms of overall total yards, touchdowns, and catches, more than Nick Chubb. And I think he's got a pretty easy schedule, especially early on. One Or not early on, but overall, I've got him ranked with the sixth best schedule for running backs this year. I'm a fan. I think he ends up being great. And I would take him as soon as seventh overall in PPR. Sean, what do you about you? What, how do you feel on uh, on Taylor? Yeah, Taylor's an interesting um, guy for me. Um, before the Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson news hit, um, I was pretty low on him compared to consensus. Um, I think he benefited last year from a ton of positive game scripts. Uh, Colts went seven and three over the final ten games, I believe, um, and had a soft schedule. So that's that's perfect. For Jonathan Taylor, I think, you know, Naheem Hines is still going to be that pass catching back that limits Taylor's upside. So, you know, especially when it, we're talking about mid to low end RB ones, there's still guys that are, I consider workhorse backs. Um, so that's why I was a bit low on him, but his ADP has dipped, you know, RB nine, RB 10, where I'm not really adjusting him down much at all based on the Carson Wentz or Quentin Nelson news. There's actually um, hope that they're going to be ready by week one. Um, so I kind of like where he's going at the RB nine ten range, but this is this is exactly the range you guys have been talking about. Where at the round one slash round two turn, um, I'm perfectly fine just taking two of these running backs. I think that's that's probably the best way to kind of start your draft if you're at the end is just take any two of these guys. Um, I would say Najee Harris is not in this tier for me. Um, I am concerned about the O-line in Pittsburgh. Um, we, we know he will have the workload, but, you know, he, he could struggle this year with efficiency. But any, any of these guys, I think, make sense in the two back-to-back uh, -back running back approach uh, start at the end of the draft, yeah. end of the first round. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Taylor, there, there is some concern. I get why people are concerned. You know, even with Carson Wentz, it's another situation where, if Carson Wentz is playing like he did with Philadelphia last year, then that gets them into a lot of passing situations. And then Naeem Hines is going to play, you know, most of those routes, but I do see at the same time, you know, a team with a pretty good defense and a team with, you know, probably more limited passing wise, I think than it was even last year with rivers limited in a different way. As in, I think Carson Wentz is just more liable to like turn the ball over and things like that. So I think Jonathan Taylor could be the whole offense. So Dave, I agree with you. I think he has that kind of Saquon like upside where, you know, he could just be the centerpiece of the offense too. Um, and I still think even the Colts, Colts banged up O-line is a little better than, than the Giants healthy sure. O-line. So yeah, yeah it's, I, I, I'm on board with, uh, with him. I, I like Joe Mixon a lot. I think Joe Mixon's usage with Zachary Taylor as the coach. I mean, two years ago, he got 17 point, uh, four carries per game Gio Bernard got 3.3 and no one else really got anything and then last year Mixon was getting almost 100% of the carries uh, you know in those games before he only played well, six games but he was getting almost 100% of the, the, the backfield carries averaged 19.8 per game so he's a guy that 
uh, really hasn't been coming off the field much. And his receptions per game jumped to from 2.2 in 2019 to 3.5 in the in the small sample last year. So I think if Mixon stays healthy, he has some sneaky upside. Another guy with some O line concerns. So um, you know he's not yeah, big time. not out of, yeah not out of the woods there. But um, what are your thoughts on on Mixon, Dave? Uh, inconsistency has weighed on him. So that makes me a little bit nervous and it, it hasn't been inconsistency the last two years In the last two seasons, he's given you 15 or more PPR points in six of his last 22 games. That sucks. The year before that, we're talking about 2018. It was seven out of 14. That was considered a great year for Joe Mixon. I know he's going to get more work in the passing game. We think there's starting to be rumblings in Cincinnati about, well, maybe Chris Evans can work in that role. And I think that's what we're going to see in the preseason games from Cincinnati is to see what Chris Evans can do. But Evans is not like a game-breaking running back. He's a guy who plays football, and he happens to be a running back, and he's not bad at catching footballs and then making a play after catching the football, but he's not a burner. He's certainly not fast like Joe Mixon. And Samaje Piran was kind of a surprise last year, kind of came all the way out of nowhere, but he ended up being just fine as well. I'm, I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that Mixon's better in round two than round one, because I, we've seen him hurt fantasy managers more than help. And, and I would include 2018 in that when he was consistent, only 50% of the time you're drafting a running back that can be a little bit better than that where you're, you're hoping can be a little bit better than that when you're in round one. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I think Mixon is a second rounder. I just see him. It's that I see him fall to sometimes the end of the second, which I think is too far. Oh, like I'm glad him we take That's him. Easy. Yeah. I'm glad we take him. you know, in any time really in that second round. Um, Sean, where are you on, on Joe Mixon? Yeah, I'm right in line with you. I think if he, if he falls to at the end of the second round, he's a no brainer play. Um, if he stays healthy, this year, I think he's going to smash ADP. The, the only question is, will he stay healthy? I mean, last year um, was an injury plague season, but other than that, he hasn't really been an injury risk kind of guy. And without Giovanni Bernard, he should dominate the passing work. I'm less concerned about Chris Evans um, as of now. So, yeah, I love Joe Mixon, you know, around the RB12 to RB14 range. Yeah, he's got he's got some high upside because he's one of those guys that could get like 23 touches per game, I think, is in his in his range of outcomes and in his ceiling. And even a guy like Aaron Jones, who I, uh, you know, I like, he, he never has averaged even 15 carries per game. You know, he's got it done with efficiency and, um, you know, touchdowns and things like that. So, uh, you know, Mixon is definitely an interesting guy. Uh, we talked about Gibson a little bit. Uh, Quiet Edwards aware. That's a, that's a guy that some people, I think, put him in that, you know, second round tier of back. Sometimes some people, I think, still let him, see him as more like an early third rounder dave where are you on, on ceh uh with casey entering year two squarely a third rounder i'm I, I know that there's good talent there and you've got to love the situation at least the potential situation that's there where he's the starting running backs of this of this ballyhooed kansas city chiefs offense but i'm not sure that he's gonna be able to pick up a lot of that passing downs work they added jarek mckinnon they've got daryl williams those guys can catch the ball out of the backfield. Edwards Hilaire, I thought, could do that. You watch him play at LSU. I think his last year at LSU he had 55 catches. Man, I thought he'd be NFL ready for that. But for whatever reason, the Chiefs don't agree, and they would have a better idea more than I would. There was also an issue about short yardage and goal line carries. Last year, he only had six carries from three yards or closer. He converted one of them. You might put some of that on the offensive line. But Mahomes had 12 pass attempts from three yards or closer. He connected on 10 of them, and he also ran for two touchdowns. So Mahomes had more short yardage touchdowns uh, rushing than Clyde Edwards-Alaire had rushing. 
that makes me nervous. I, I, I see him as a guy that might be able to get you to like 12 or 1,300 total yards. You know, in, in his first six games before Le'Veon got there, he had uh, almost 600 total yards, over 600 total yards, almost 700 total yards in those first six games, but one touchdown. And I'm worried that that's what he's going to end up being. So he's somebody that I'm getting a little nervous about unless I can find him in round three where he can be my number two fantasy running back. Yeah, talk about the short yardage. I think all those carries may have came in week one. He had Four of them came in week one yeah. against Houston. Overall, I think that's when Kansas City realized they had an offensive line problem. Yeah, and, and they just, I think they went away from Edwards Aware a little bit in that spot too because he had 15 carries for the year inside the 10. Seven of them came in week one. He went 0 for 7, and then he got eight for the rest of the year. <laughs> and only one touchdown on, on those 15 carries. So, uh, yeah, I think they're, and it's just, with Casey, they've kind of proven that they're willing to throw the ball. There's, uh, and like they, like their ancillary pieces lately, like you look at a guy like Sammy Watkins, McCole Harbin, all those other guys that have been on this team, you know, haven't really lived up to expectation. And he, I think CEH was a part of that last year. Like he was going, well, he was going like top six, top seven uh, in yep, some drafts. I'm guilty of that, Chris. I yeah. was one of the guys that Me was too. really touting him because I felt like the Chiefs viewed him like they viewed Kareem Hunt. Right. And I'm talking about, like, talent on top of it. Like, I thought they could squeeze that out of him, but obviously there was something there that they didn't like. He played 53rd down snaps last year for Kansas City. So we, we don't know how the Chiefs coaches feel about him at this point. Do they believe that he can take a step forward there? We haven't really seen that in the preseason. I don't think we ever will. But – I can say this, he got a lot of run with the starters, and then when they got inside the five-yard line, he had played for like five straight plays. He was out of there. Darrell Williams was in. Chief scored on that play. It was a touchdown to Byron Pringle. But <laughs> well, I like by Edward Zillaire was not on the field. Yeah, I, I, that's that's that kind of goes right to that point of, you know, half of those top 10 running backs are gone by round one, and I think the reason I, I do kind of uh, – give some credence to like the hero RB strategy, even though I, don't, I never intend for a certain strategy necessarily going to draft. But the reason I end up following it a bunch is because I don't want to be shooting for like RB two upside. You know, if I don't have, like, I can shoot for that in like round six, seven, eight, nine, you know, I don't have to shoot for that in round three or, or even late two. And I feel like that's sometimes what you're getting with CEH, like you're fighting to be like the, you, hopefully he's like the RB 10 at like his ceiling or something like that. So yeah, not 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 as sexy to me this year. Sean, how where are you on Quiet Edward Solaire? Yeah, I'm similar to you guys. Um, you know, last year I was high on him, but um once he started getting drafted in round one, I was out, uh, thankfully. Um, so I think he he has a ton of upside. He, I consider him, you know, as part of this high-end RB2 tier with DeAndre Swift and Chris Carson even. Um, and I think the fact that I can get Chris Carson around sometimes two rounds later, uh, he's the guy I've been kind of drafting a lot more than a guy like CEH. Um, but, you know, going back to your point on the um, the goal line work, you know, he only scored one touchdown on nine attempts inside the five. You know, we would typically expect four to five touchdowns um, from that kind of usage. So I think we'll see some positive touchdown regression if he does retain that role. So I, I'm okay with people drafting him in round three. I think he has the upside to warrant it. Yeah, it's uh, he's just a tough sell for me in round three over like a stud tight end that's fallen to me or like a mid-range wide receiver one, like a, a Metcalf or a Justin Jefferson or an A.J. Brown. Like 
it's just a tough sell for me. Like I, and I love the guy, but I, I think he's kind of, he's kind of a, like a prototypical, like high-end RB2 who pretty much stays in that tier. Like, I don't think, I think he's high floor, low ceiling, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Uh, let's, let's go to, uh, let's talk quarterback real quick, because that's one, you know, we haven't talked about much. I, I know, I don't draft quarterbacks often in, in the top 50. I think it's really important to, to attack running back wide receiver and, and tight end. If you can, Dave, what are your thoughts on quarterbacks taking this early? And, and when, when, when do you think Patrick Mahomes specifically should be going off the board? I think Mahomes should go off the board in round three. His average draft position on CBS Sports is top 12. And Josh Allen's is top 20. So the general public really has not caught up to the fantasy analyst universe of, well, don't take a quarterback so soon in a one quarterback league. And it's pretty obvious why there's supply and demand issues in play here where I'm in a 10 team league. I'm in a 12 team league. I need a quarterback, but only one. And there are so many quarterbacks I'm okay starting that I know I can wait on one and fill some other positions early on in drafts but people don't necessarily subscribe to that. Maybe they say what we what I was talking about earlier. I want a safe pick in round one. I want somebody that's going to score me a lot of points. Well, there's no safer position and no position that scores as many points as quarterbacks. So maybe that's why they do it. But I'm not doing that. I'm not taking Mahomes until it's round three. I was in a, uh, a snake draft at the Kings Classic, which is a bunch of industry nerds like myself, and I got Mahomes in round five. And mm. I'm not... I'm not I know, I know I've had to like catch myself a couple of times on this podcast or saying something that wasn't right. Mahomes was the first quarterback off the board and I got him in round five. I'm never going to pass up a quarterback steal. And that's exactly what that was. And you can apply that logic to your draft strategies this year is that if there's a steal to be at a quarterback, you should take advantage, but I want to take it a step further. I see a difference between the first six quarterbacks and the rest of the group of quarterbacks that we like this year, my first six quarterbacks, Mahomes one, Allen two, Kyler three, Lamar Jackson, four, Dak is currently five. Russ is six. If I can get one of those guys at what I would consider a fair value, or maybe a little bit better than fair. Maybe I'm stealing him just a little bit. Maybe it's round five and Josh Allen's there. Maybe it's round six and Russ is still there. I'm taking them. I'm not going to pass them up because those guys score enough points to be difference makers for my team. And the players that I'm passing up in that range, that four, five to six range, I think I can make up for most of them by the time I'm in the other rounds behind whenever I get my quarterback. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really tough to to draft a quarterback, like to just go into the draft saying like, I want to draft a quarterback early. It's, it's going to put you behind. I think we always want to be able to, to just kind of play out, out the board. And, and that's really the only way I think you should ever be getting a quarterback that early. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on these, you know, kind of early round quarterbacks? Yeah. So I, I agree with Dave that uh, round three is probably when Mahomes should go. Um, and I, I typically let the QB position, fall to me i let the draft dictate it so i'm usually watching when somebody takes mahomes first off the board but similar to dave if if he's there around five i would definitely consider it i think that's uh that's a steal getting him there but um yeah. you know when it comes to this chief's offense we definitely want to invest in patrick mahomes but i think the best way to do it is through players like tyreek hill through players like travis kelsey or even clyde edwards hilaire i think you, you want to invest in this chief offense 
but the QB position, um, you know, you can get uh, away with not drafting a quarterback, do the whole um, stream in season approach. Like I advocate uh, if you miss out on one of these top six quarterbacks. So I, I still want to invest in this chiefs offense, just not with Patrick Mahomes directly and take, um, you know, either like a Tyree kill or Travis Kelsey to still get some piece, uh, a piece of this offense. Cause we, we definitely want to invest in it. Yeah. Cause the thing about like quarterbacks and them going this early is that like what you're looking for in these early rounds is like locked in production guys that you don't have to think twice about starting. You don't have to shift your lineup around. You, you know, these guys should be most weeks just locked and loaded and ready to go. And then that predictable production and at quarterback, you can pretty much get that anywhere. Now you're not necessarily getting, you know, the number one quarterback as you would with Mahomes, but um, to, to you're sacrificing potentially getting, you know, a guy, a guy like that at running back or wide receiver, which is extremely valuable because yeah. everyone could pick up a quarterback and start one and, and have a, a decent, you know, day, but it's going to be those other positions that really differentiate. So yeah, I don't really get any of Mahomes, unfortunately, because I he never he never seems to fall to like the fifth round for me, Dave. I don't. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish, but uh, I think like the earliest I usually go uh, is is the sixth. That's when you know sometimes like a, a a Lamar or a Kyler, more often like a Dak or a Russ, may end up falling and in, in below ADP. Um, and I'm fine, you know, there depending on my build sometimes with with taking them, but. Um, that's really the only time I'm going with like a quote unquote early round quarterback, because even if you look at like outside of, uh, you know, Mahomes last year, I mean, look at the quarterbacks and, and the top quarterbacks, they were all taken, you know, in the sixth round or later, you had, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Watson, uh, and Josh Allen and all those guys. And every year you see the same thing where, yes, there's going to be those locked and loaded quarterbacks. But, uh, I looked at the, the, the overall pick, the median overall pick for a top five quarterback uh, since 2014. And it's pick number 85, which is pretty much what you'd expect. You know, you can get a a really good guy later on in the draft. And if you look at the guys taken in the first five rounds, they finished in the top five, a third of a time, they finished, you know, in the six through 12 range, a third of a time, and they finished outside of the top 12, a third of a time. So it's not like a super huge edge. They're just kind of, you know, essentially doing what you'd expect, not, not really giving you much of an edge um at, at that position so it's uh it, early round quarterback is one that i'm almost always staying away from unless a guy really really falls like over a round and, and i'm already in the sixth and i have like two running backs three wide outs already so uh let's yeah. let's talk about i want to talk about uh, before we get out of here some of the the players in like rounds three four and five uh, that we're targeting and that we're avoiding because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about kind of draft philosophy and these early round guys. So like now you get into round three, um, you have a couple of studs, Dave, uh, at running back, first of all, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, what are you doing with like these round three, four, five guys, Dobbins, Swift, Carson, Henderson, Montgomery, et cetera. Uh, some of them I'm avoiding at the ADP. Swift is one of them, even in PPR. I'm I'm nervous about him being able to stay healthy all year. And when he is healthy, I think he's splitting. Everything that I've heard out of Lions camp, and, and this is another place where I went to watch a preseason game and talk with their coach there, Dan Campbell. Um, I, I think they like having, and they've said it, a one-two punch at running back. I think they're nervous about Swift staying healthy. It's a great offensive line, at least on paper it is. 
but I think they legitimately believe that Jamal Williams can be their hammer and that DeAndre Swift can be their lightning, and he's going to catch a lot of passes. I'm worried about him getting a lot of carries. I'm not convinced that he can break out, and PFF's metrics for him in terms of elusiveness and yards after contact per carry, they were low. He, he was not very good in those categories, so I'm kind of out on him. I'm in on Montgomery. I think that David Montgomery will see that continued workload that we saw last year. Of course, he's going to see tougher opponents. Of course, that offensive line is a question mark. But what really got me excited about David Montgomery was seeing Justin Fields and watching Justin Fields look like he's been in the league for three years. He was very smooth in the pocket. He was dangerous with his throws. He put stuff on film in that game against Miami. This is the first preseason game that I think defensive coordinators around the league are going to have to take notice on. And that's going to open things up. His rushing will open things up for Montgomery and his passing will open things up for Montgomery. If Chicago uses him right and so far so good, he'll get in there sooner than later. And that's when David Montgomery will be a real problem for opposing uh, defenses and a great help for people who take him in fantasy. I used to get laughed at for taking him in late round three by my own pals here at CBS. Now I'm willing to take him late round two. If there's not, if I'm, if I'm not feeling Kittle, if I really want to make sure I get that second running back, maybe there's been a run on running backs in rounds one and two, and I need to collect another running back. I'm not afraid to go with Montgomery there, but more importantly, or, or maybe more safely, more sanely, I'm okay taking Montgomery in round three, and it can be an early round three. Dobbins, tons of upside, worried about him not seeing more than maybe 13 carries per game. They talk like they want to throw him the football. The more that those receivers are injured in Baltimore, the more I think targets can be manufactured for J.K. Dobbins, and it would make sense. He's awesome. Why not use him? Leverage him against those cornerbacks on the outside. I just don't know if the Ravens have it in them to actually go ahead and do that. Uh, I agree with Sean on what he said earlier about Chris Carson, but it took me a while to get there. At first, I was nervous about Carson because he's always been kind of one of those 50% consistency types of running backs, but I'm willing to take one of those guys now because a lot of the running backs that we look at later on in drafts, guys like Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, they make me more nervous. I'll take the 50% of the time success rate guy who's got an okay offensive line, but a new offense where he'll get thrown the ball a little bit as well. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, I'm not sure if I'm missing any running backs that you mentioned there, but as far as those four guys, Montgomery, Dobbins, Carson, um, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm leaning on them at this point. Yeah. You made a bunch of interesting points. Um, and, and Sean, I, I want to hear your takes on, on some of these guys. And then I'll get mine at the end of Dobbins, Swift, Carson, Montgomery in particular, um, fading them, targeting them, uh, or what are you doing with them? Yeah, so this this RB2 tier is interesting, and usually this is where I uh, dub the Frozen Pond tier. Um, but I like all these guys this year. It, this time last year, we were drafting in this range, Todd Gurley, Livion Bell, <laughs> James Conner, Melvin Gordon, David Johnson. Those are guys we're used to seeing in this tier. Um, and we all said we want nothing to do with them, and we were right. Um, so, yes, guys like J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, David Montgomery, even you can be critical of them, um, but that, the concerns are sort of reflected in their ADP. You can get them as, uh, you know, low end RB twos, but all these guys have RB one upside. They're in the prime of their career. 
So these are all guys that I'm okay taking. Um, I, I mentioned him earlier, but Chris Carson is a guy that I love getting, um, you know, at the end of round four, sometimes round five. I just think he's a safe bet. He probably doesn't have a uh, super high ceiling, but he's just, you know, a safe high floor bet as your RB2. Um, and even Daryl Henderson, right now his ADP is RB21. Um, I think the closer we get to week one and the Rams haven't signed a veteran back, the more I love Daryl Henderson. I think he's going to keep trending up uh, towards, you know, RB17, RB18, if they don't add another back. Um, so I love getting him. Um, it's been usually round five is when I target him. So any of these guys that fall to me, um, I'm sort of okay taking, despite, you know, the warts they have, they all have some concern. But if you're getting uh, legit RB2 in round five, you can't pass that up. I don't mind Henderson in round five. It's seeing him go in round four where I get a little squeamish. And I know they haven't added anybody yet. It uh, wouldn't surprise me if they still added a veteran. There's a couple of veteran running backs out there who fantasy managers would be like, ew, really? The Rams? Why would they do that? But yeah. I just, I can't help but think that the coaches don't love Daryl Henderson. They could learn to love Daryl Henderson, but he's got to earn it there. Um, I know he's a good pass catcher. He has 38 career snaps on third downs with the Rams. I know that he's got burst and ability. I don't know how many games over the course of his career he's had 15 plus touches. It's probably something that I've got in my notes somewhere. I just don't know it off the top of my head. I'm nervous about the schedule to begin the season for Henderson. He's got the bears, Colts, bucks, Cardinals, Seahawks, giants. Um, maybe one or two of those defenses will be okay. But the, the, the big point that I'm worried about with Henderson is Sean McVay just got his upgrade at quarterback. And he's going to now he's got the license to let Matthew Stafford throw a ton because Cam Akers isn't there. And the running back that he currently has is one that he'll say that he's going to lean on, but may not necessarily lean on him. And so I don't want to be one of those people that reaches for Daryl Henderson. To me, he's in the next tier behind the other four that we mm-hmm. mentioned before. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it, too. I'm is I don't think this RB2 tier is as bad uh, as like the frozen pond tiers of years past. I think that that starts a little later this year, but the the consequence of that is that again, am I really taking guys that have RB1 high end RB1 upside this year, or am I trying to fight for like RB2 upside? Because these guys have to compete with McCaffrey, Cook, Kamara, Henry, Elliott, Jones, Eckler, Mixon, Taylor, Harris, uh, like like Barkley, if you want to put him in there. You know, there's just a ton of guys that – and it's it's unlikely that, you know, Big McCaffrey gets hurt after three games, Barkley gets hurt after two games, you know, again this year. So I think at receiver, you know, I, I just think you're you're giving yourself a little more of a, of a shot at like that top – six upside with some of the guys you can get in the third, fourth, fifth round, even. And we've historically seen that, um, you know, half of the top 10 wide receivers since 2014 have been taken uh, between round two and the end of round seven. So it's been a lot more, you know, evenly distributed with the wide receiver as you go down the board, because, you know, there's air yards to be had, there's targets to be had, there's less injury risk that it's usually not worth it to me unless I, I, like it really dictated by my draft. Like if I just fell into maybe a, a wide receiver, wide receiver start or a 
tight end, wide receiver, tight end start or something like that. And I need sure. a, a running back. That's what I'm okay. I hope I get a Chris Carson. I hope, you know, maybe JK Dobbins has like some, you know, poor man's Nick Chubb appeal, you know, things like that. But in, yeah, that in a vacuum, I think they're all real risky. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the reason I like having two running backs before this tears off the mm -hmm. board is because I don't want to dive into the frozen pond yeah. um, or fallen as, as I should say. Um, I don't want to Mike Davis, Chase Edmonds, uh, Miles Gaskin, James Robinson as my RB2. I rather, you know, I'm okay taking them as your first bench running back or even your flex, but having a dip in and take them as your RB2 is scary to me. So I do like having two running backs before this, this massive RB, RB2 tiers off the board. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying I wouldn't reach on any of these guys. Like, I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's take one of these guys like ahead of his ADP. It's like, if they drop to me, cool. If not, I'm just going to have, you know, one of those strong strong teams with wide receiver that maybe RB2 slab a little bit shaky. It's just how I'm going to At least be. to begin the season. Yeah, exactly. Because I, yeah. I think that's that's the biggest mistake sometimes. It's like we end up, or drafters end up, like feeling like they need that that second running back. And sometimes even that third running back, which I, I think you get in a lot of trouble um, and it's like, yeah, if they're value, that's one thing. But if you're taking, like, if you're giving up like wide receiver one upside for RB two upside, that's not a great trade because these days, like wide receivers are just as viable, uh, in the flex, uh, pretty much across the board. Now, maybe in standard leagues, you still go toward running backs a little, but, um, Dave, what about at wide receiver, um, the next, you know, the rounds three through five in particular, uh, usually, you know, that round starts, round three starts, you still got guys like Allen Robinson on the board, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Terry McLaurin, and you got the Bucks guys, the, the, the Rams guys, Lockett, Julio. I mean, a lot of guys that go in this range, uh, any of these guys that you like a lot, hate a lot, uh, who, who are the guys you end up with the most? And I'm lucky if I end up, if, when I'm starting running back, tight end, running back, you know, some form or fashion with my first three picks, I'm lucky if I get one of these guys on my fantasy squad in round four, they usually don't make it there. But uh, my favorite from the group is Robinson because I think he'll get a ton of targets. We've seen him do very well when he's had terrible quarterbacks. Now he's going to eventually have a very good quarterback. I think he's a very good quarterback in Justin Fields. Um, I like him a lot. I like Robert Woods a lot, just doubling down on this whole idea that you're going to see Matthew Stafford throw a bunch. I think Woods is not only the Rams' most accomplished receiver, I think he's their best all-around receiver. I think he could have a career year, and we're talking about a wideout who's had 90 catches and 1,200 yards before. Um, in fact, recently, he's had those kinds of numbers. I think he can do better than that this year, and I think he can score more touchdowns on top of it. And McLaurin's been a very trendy um, breakout pick. We know about what Ryan Fitzpatrick's record is with leaning on that number one outside receiver, going after those perimeter guys, targeting them, over-targeting them. I'm looking for that. And so McLaurin is somebody who makes my top 12 among receivers in PPR leagues. And listen, there's a great case to be made for Julio Jones since he's now going to be in single coverage, theoretically, on every single snap, including when he gets in the red zone. The reason why he wasn't scoring a ton of touchdowns for years was because teams were taking him away when they got in the red zone. If you listen to anybody in Atlanta over the past six years, they would have told you exactly that. Now he's got a chance to not do that. He's just got to get healthy first. CeeDee Lamb has a great safe floor. He had at least 10 PPR points in every single game with Dak last year. Three of them, he had 16 or more PPR points, and that was on a target share below 18%. So I think he, we could see his target share rise. I think the Cowboys are going to try and manufacture stuff for him. And I think we're at the point now 
where I think Dallas thinks he's at the point now where even when he's covered, he's open because he can leap and make a play. And he's just got that type of my ball mentality that you're looking for from an outside or slot type of wide receiver. Those are my favorite five from this group. And so if you can get one of them in round four, I think you're winning. If you somehow can get one of them in round five, you're stealing from the rest of your league. But if, if you do go running back, running back, those are the five wide receivers that I would target first in round three. And then again, in round four. Yeah. I, I love all, like all of these guys. Like it's hard for me to say uh, that I don't want any, I think at this point it just becomes about, um, you know, it's all quality. I think it just becomes about the quantity especially if I started with, you know, positions other than wide receiver. Um, I try to get, you know, a couple of these guys and, you know, add in like a T Higgins or, you know, a Chase Claypool, some of the the round two, uh, the year two breakout candidates a a little later. Um, But uh, Sean, any of these guys at receiver that you're specifically targeting uh, or avoiding? Yeah, I'm kind of with you where I kind of, I love all of these guys. So whoever kind of falls to me in rounds three to five fit into my draft strategy. Um, I would say both Rams receivers, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, um, typically fall to me, uh, at least one of them fall to me in almost every draft. Um, when you look at last season's stats, uh, they were they were held back by Jared Goff quite a bit. Um, you know, the Rams ranked 24th in pass attempts, uh, 20 plus yards or more. They ranked 30th in pass attempts in the red zone. Um, those numbers look even worse when you consider they rank 12th in overall pass attempts. So I think with Matthew Stafford there, they're, they're both going to get more of those high value targets, um, you know, higher a dots, more um, receptions in the red zone. So I think their touchdowns are going to go up no more cam acres. So they're going to have to throw even more. So I think both Rams running backs. I love um, the only guy I would maybe say I avoid is Adam Thielen. Um, you know, I've talked about it, but he's due for some, pretty massive touchdown regression after scoring a career high 14 last season. Um, even, even after uh, in a season where he scored 14 touchdowns, he busted quite a bit. Um, he finished outside of the top 60, 27% of the time. So he has a pretty low floor in this, this offense that can get pretty run heavy if they have the lead. Um, so he's a guy in this range that I would say I'm avoiding, but everybody else, I think if they fall to me in the right spot, I'm more than happy to take them in uh, rounds three to five. Of his 14 touchdowns last year, Sean, do you know how many were in the red zone? Um, all of them? 13, 13 right? of yep. 14. <laughs> do you know how many of them were inside the five? Uh, 10. Seven. Seven <laughs> of 14. Do you know how many targets inside the 10 Justin Jefferson had last year? Hmm. Probably uh, low. Like uh, maybe six, like five, five or five. Six. <laughs> all right, hold on a second. Chris says five he said five and six so let's set the over under at five and a half <laughs> let's go odds maker what are we doing I'll, here i'll take the under there the way you're setting it up i'm hammering the under it's actually over but it's eight oh. and that number is still <laughs> preposterous that justin jefferson only had eight targets inside the 10 and stupid adam thielen had seven touchdowns inside the five i do think that there is chemistry between cousins and thielen when they get down there and thielen's never double covered so if you i, I wouldn't be afraid to draft thielen but you're, you're doing it on the hope that he gets double-digit touchdowns again, which is kind of a slippery slope. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's the same reason, like, you know, Julio never got the touchdowns. It's like Thielen's benefiting from that, so he can't complain too much. Like, I, I do think he's the guy that, like, I'm the least excited about of, of this tier, but I don't even completely avoid him just because I think he's just so good still. Like, I think he's just one of the better receivers yeah. in the league. Uh, and J- Jefferson having a 1,400-yard season – 
only, I think, you know, opens things up for Thielen. He'll be 31 this year, so it's not an age where you're, like, super worried yet. I think give him another couple of years, and then you get worried. But uh, I think it's really imperative because the value – because it's it's hard to get running backs. You got to go after them early. Um, you're going to be in a spot where, you know, as that th- rounds three, four, five, six come around – you should be able to get three quality receivers, uh, if not four, to fill that, at least to fill those wide receiver one, two, three spots. Um, but it's that's where I think you're, the, the sweet spot is for wide receivers. So, yeah, I love, I love Robert Woods, too, because I think his rushing potential goes underrated. He, mm. he gets over oh, a yeah, carry a game. That. He gets yeah. over a carry a game. And uh, given that the Rams running backs went down, I mean, that's another thing that the Rams receivers could pick up the slack in. So. Uh, I think that's some exciting upside for for Robert Woods, who never seems to be a sexy pick, but uh, definitely a guy who's going to be productive. Uh, Dave, I'll finish up with this question. Is there any player that frequently slips outside the top 50 or, or just doesn't even have an ADP in the top 50 at all? Maybe it's, you know, in those next couple of rounds that should be that you think should be actually drafted in that top 50. So let me, you sent me a great link before the show to an, an ADP um, on my fantasy league site, their ADP report. Yep. And so I see Julio Jones is just outside the top 50. I know that we talked about him. I think he absolutely belongs to be, belongs in the top 50. Um, Cooper Cup, we already talked about him. Tyler Lockett's going 54th. Oh, He's yeah, I love him. He's got a top 50 pick. Yeah. I love him. And yeah, I, I know that the the whole idea of throwing quick doesn't necessarily help him. He's always been the guy that Russ goes to when he's making an improvisational play. And that includes in the red zone last year. But I still think that he can get fit into that offense just as well as DK Metcalf. And hopefully he can just separate a little bit more than Metcalf can. And he can make plays that way without necessarily being touched. Deontay Johnson is someone who I think is worthy of a top 50 pick because volume's volume. Targets are targets. He's going to get plenty of them in Pittsburgh. I know we're worried about that offensive line, but I, I think that he, we were worried about it last year and he ended up doing just fine. There's a couple of other players. There, there's two more I want to name. I don't know if I necessarily think they have to be top 50 players, but if you're drafting and there's a quarterback there and you're not ready to take a quarterback, I'm okay if you take TJ Hawkinson as a top 50 pick. And I'm okay if you take Mark Andrews as a top 50 pick. And that has to do a little bit more with position scarcity than it does anything else. Although I do think that Hawkinson has a chance to lead the line and tar- mm-hmm. lead the lines and targets, catches, yards, touchdowns. Uh, Goff, after his preseason game, talked about how important tight ends are in the offense. And he specifically laid out that TJ is that guy in Detroit. But I think everybody knew that already. Um, and Mark Andrews has been that reliable target for Lamar Jackson really ever since Lamar became the starter. For, for Baltimore way back when. So I could see him continuing to put up good numbers. I like Andrews better than Hawkinson in non and in half, but in full PPR, I'm going to buy into Hawkinson getting that workload and being better than Andrews there. But I think that if you're stuck in that range and there's not a running back you like, there's not a receiver you like, you're not ready to take a quarterback yet, you can look at those tight ends. Yeah, I think Hawkinson has an outside shot to weed all tight ends and targets just because – of like we've seen Goff with Tyler Higby, who I think Hawkinson is a better player than Tyler Higby. Like For Goff sure. just throws so short, the team is going to be likely behind a lot. And Hawkinson is right there with Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, is the, and probably ahead of him because that's a rookie, right? So, you know, yes. if you who's the projected leader in targets for the Lions? For me, it's probably Hawkinson because 
Tyrell Williams, not a high target guy who's going to play a lot on the outside. And then we don't even know what's going on with Rashad Perriman. Apparently uh, you know, nothing, nothing is yeah, going on. He's been playing Rashad behind Perriman. Khalif Raymond at, at, at points in camp. He's, we don't know. I would be surprised if he made the team at this point. Oh, whew, okay. Well, there you go. Struggled. Uh, Tyrell, Tyrell was a starting outside receiver yeah. for them in their first preseason game. St. Brown started in the slot. He played, I think half the snaps with the first team offense in their first preseason game against Buffalo. Dude, he was separating. He's, mm-hmm. you, you want a late round sleeper in a PPR league? Because <laughs> everybody's going to be up on Jacoby Myers now after what happened. And everybody's going to be all over Marquez Calloway after what's going on in New Orleans. Uh, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is one of those guys you should look at with one of your last three picks. Oh, yeah. That, that could be, that could be, you have a hundred catch upside. With with in like outside of the top, you know, 150 picks with with that guy, like it's you know that's in his range of outcomes. Just given Jared Goff's, like he had like a 6.1 a dot last year or something like that. Like, uh, it was 4.9 from what oh, I saw. Oh my god, Jesus! Yeah, okay. like I think I could have a 4.9 a dot if I played quarterback. Right. Uh, assuming that I didn't get sacked every time. Uh, it's like Jared Goff is on pedestrian level quarterbacking, but again, it, that, it's fallen that three straight years, Chris. Oh yeah, yeah, three straight years, and I don't. I don't think the Lions are going to tell him, hey, throw downfield more. We really need to get Rashad Perriman involved in the offense. I mean, this is an offense that's going to struggle. I think they're going to be in trouble this year. This is going to be Dan Campbell, you know, former tight end uh, with, you know, taking, putting Darren Fells on the field, TJ Hawkinson. And you're not joking. And and, 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 and Ross St. Brown is going to be the Cooper Cup of this offense. And Goff is just going to ignore, he's probably even going to ignore Tyrell Williams. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I do like that, that Hawkins, I like getting Hawkinson even more in the six. Cause again, I'm just really big on like, I like, I really like having my third wide receiver by the end of round five. Um, it just, as much as I mock it, just, I like my teams the most when I have that third receiver, but even if I, even if I wait on my RB two to round six or something, it's just, I find that like that, you can get re- three really solid receivers um, in the first five rounds, but I, I do take, I, he's always my target um, in round six. If he falls is Hawkinson. If I haven't got a stud tight end, like over really over the other two guys, I have him ranked fourth just because I think he has that, that huge upside. Um, mm-hmm. Sean, what about you? Who Who's going outside the top 50 uh, that you think should be going in, in the top 50 well, or that falls a lot. You guys stole my thunder because it's TJ Hawkinson all the way for me. Um, 63 is way too low. Um, so once Kelsey, Waller, Kill are off the board, this tier two at tight end with Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson is super critical for my draft strategy because once this is off the board, I have no plan. It's basically just <laughs> wing it. Um, so you have Kyle Pitts going 43, which is probably too early. Mark Andrews yeah. at 57, which I do like that. And Hawkinson at 63. I have all three projected identically at 50 overall. Um, so getting Hawkinson at 63 uh, would be the dream scenario for me. But it's so risky because if someone snipes him right in front of me, <laughs> I'm screwed. So it's, it's, a, it's a gamble. But you guys already talked about it. I have him far and away the number one target um, in this offense. He's entering year three. Uh, he's, you know, an elite tight end that should break out this season. Um, so I, I love getting him, you know, round six. But like I said, it's such a gamble because he's so critical in my draft strategy that if he gets taken, I'm lost. So um, that's why I, I love, you know, waiting at tight end to potentially get him. But he is such a valuable, 
you know, piece in my draft strategy. I think he's a steal at 63 overall. Yeah, he's the he's the guy I find myself getting a lot when I pick at the back half and I'm, you know, going running back, running back early because I'm not I'm probably not getting that stud tight end. Kittle's never going to fall back that far to the third. Uh, and yeah. so uh, I'm like on high alert for tight end. Uh, and I still usually, I, again, I still like to get those three receivers in rounds three through five. But the good thing is if you're drafting at that part and Hawkinson's going to fall to the, to the sixth, that means you could kind of look on the board. And a lot of times you're drafted early in the sixth uh, and late in the fifth, you can say, okay, well, uh, these receivers are going to still be here. And then you, you can go get Hawkinson in that fifth yeah. round. So it really depends on, you know, how big your league size is. But yeah, I agree. I think he's critical. And I just think he has that huge upside to where even more so than a Mark Andrews, who is very reliant on touchdowns. And, you know, he's Mark Andrews has been like a 33% target per route kind of guy, but we've mm-hmm. he, he's only going to run like 75 to 80% tops. I think Hawkinson could like challenge for the league lead in, in routes run as well. So um, it's, yeah, it's a great, it, it, Hawkinson, I love that call there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, this is a, a packed pod. This, this actually really helped me, uh, with some of my draft strategies and kind of Same. talking some, th- yeah, like this is like, I want to just go draft now. So, uh, actually, Dave, uh <laughs> Rayvon, it's your pick in our, um, well, there you go. League, so you might as well, uh, <laughs> go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do it live cause I want to make sure I give my full attention <laughs> to it, but, uh, yeah, our charity best ball league. Um, I'm up, but Dave, it was just, this was an amazing pod. Um, again, just amazing insights and, uh, really, really sharp. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell everybody, uh, where you at, what you're working on, where they can find you. Well, first of all, it's amazing because you guys are on it and it's my pleasure to join you. There are times where I join other podcasts and it's a chore to be on the last two hours basically have flown by. It's been a lot of fun and you helped me rethink my take on Saquon Barkley a little bit. And I think I got to I got to think about that a little <laughs> bit more uh, as, as soon as we're done here. You might see him move down in my rankings a little bit. You guys Ooh. made some sense. You talked to me about Saquon. I heard you. I felt you. Um, our podcast is called Fantasy Football Today. You can download it anywhere. Um, and our show, our live streaming fantasy show every day, noon Eastern Fantasy Football Today. It's the crew that, you know, from CBS, me, Jamie Eisenberg, Heath Cummings. Uh, we, we break down the latest news. We talk about the positions. We answer questions. We do everything that we need to do to help people win their fantasy leagues. That's at noon Eastern every day on CBS Sports HQ. You can find it on the free CBS Sports app, or you can just go to CBSSportsHQ.com. On anything that has Wi-Fi, anything that can get Internet, and you just start watching. You don't have to give your email address or credit card or anything like that. You just go there and you just start watching and you're a smarter sports fan for it, and you're better in your fantasy leagues for it. So I hope to see everybody over there. Yeah, make sure you guys go check out Dave, because this was straight fire. Uh, you guys can, as you know, find Sean Kerner at the underscore oddsmaker on Twitter. You can find me at Chris Raybon, and you can find us both at those same handles in the Action Network app. Again, this is the new Fantasy Flex feed, so make sure that you give us a review and a rating it would really help us out and uh, as we switch over to this new feed we're going to give you five episodes i think i said three last time i meant five episodes per week during the season that's one every day so be sure to stay tuned for that until next time let's get this money